Welcome to our Rolling Hills Community Church Sermon Podcast. I'm Joel Hudson. I'm the worship pastor here at Rolling Hills Nashville. These past few weeks, we've been in our series, Christmas, The Supporting Cast. You may have heard the story of the Magi or the three kings who came bearing gifts for baby Jesus in the past, but today we wanna take a closer look at the significance of the Magi coming to see the Messiah. Their presence is such an important part of the Christmas story as we can learn from the sacrifice, the humility, and the generosity of their gifts and their arrival. Thanks for joining us today. Well, have you guys noticed how fast news can spread? How fast it can, it can spread? Maybe something has happened in your life and you're really excited about it. It was a promotion, or you got engaged, or you had a child, or you bought a new house, or a new job, or whatever the case might be. And before you ever told a single person, all these other people started knowing about it. This happened to my wife and I when we got engaged. And y'all, I was so proud of that moment. I had planned this amazing engagement moment, had actually asked a friend of ours who was a professional photographer to hide out in the woods to capture that moment when hopefully she would say yes, and she did say yes. And it was awesome. And we started celebrating. And that night we thought, well, let's just determine, you know, who we're going to call first and some family and some close friends that we wanted to tell. And we were celebrating that and called parents and those kinds of things. And so about a couple hours later, I just go to Facebook, not to make it Facebook official, that we are engaged in. Right there on, the, on my kind of news feed is an intern from church, leave it up to the interns, who wrote, congratulations on your engagement. And I thought, we have told no one. There's only like three people that knew this was happening. There was a crack in the armor somewhere. Someone had shared. And I just literally started laughing out loud because it was a great reminder that news just travels and you don't even have to try to control it. That's really good news. But if you notice that bad news travels even faster, terrible news seems to go at an even more breakneck speed. Maybe it's something that, that, that kind of happened in the world or something uh, terrible that happened to you. And due to the 24-7 access that we have to everything, it has made it incredibly quick for us to get that information out. And we can't even control the information anymore. And I've been intrigued by this for a long time. I've been intrigued by the science and the psychology behind why do certain things you know, go quickly, more quickly than others? And how does this get shared more quickly than that gets shared? And so I did a little bit of research and, and I found that there are actually really smart people, much smarter than me, that have studied this. The Massachusetts Institute of Technology or MIT has actually done a lot of study about how does news get traveled. And so what they have done is they studied how fast news spreads on social media. And Twitter was their kind of social media outlet of choice that they decided to look at. And what they decided to do was they followed 126,000 stories on Twitter. Now, what constituted a story? A story was something that people were sharing, and it was not fact-checked yet. So it could be half true, it could be partially true, completely untrue, or fully 100% true. And they allow all their algorithms to start taking place to see how quickly all of these stories get shared. And then once they get all their numbers, they go back and fact check the stories to see what was true, what was false. And this is what they found, that according to the Massachusetts Institute of Technology, people are six times more likely, or it takes six times as long, I should say, for good news to spread to 1,500 people opposed to bad news that's untrue. Six times more likely. And then they go as far to say that false stories were 70% more likely to be retweeted than true stories. And you think to yourself, what does that have to do with me this morning? Why do I share that with you? Well, it means that i got to work six times harder to make you believe what I'm about to say this morning. <laughs> because uh, we just have a natural kind of propensity to kind of want to look at the bad or to think, I don't know if that's true or whatnot. But all joking aside, we are sharing really good news with you today. 
We're sharing good news with you in this series. We try to share good news with you every week here in the church. And the reality is you have to work a little bit harder to share this with other people. Science and psychology even backs it up, that it's just not as normal for us. We just don't enjoy it as much. There's something that's a little bit more challenging for us. We have to open up our heart to see the truth and diligently share the truth. And we have to understand in general that people have a tendency to kind of go towards worst case scenario and sometimes just kind of believe things that aren't even true. In fact, we kind of are drawn to some of the obstacles. We're kind of drawn to the negative headlines. If you open up any news outlet this day, you'll see that it's sensational headlines kind of win the day, don't they? In fact, it, it's what, uh, it, what allows us to kind of click and to keep going on and reading these stories is because it's usually worst-case scenario that gets painted for us in those headlines. And so, therefore, we're just kind of drawn to those things, and we share those more and more. But if you want to lean in, I want to share with you a little truth. If you want to lean in, guys, I, I got to let the can I gotta let you know in a secret. It's really not new. There is literally nothing new under the sun, and the concept of something that's not true being shared more quickly than something that's true goes all the way back to the first century. Because if you go to the book of Matthew, where we're going to be camping out this morning, if you go to the book of Matthew, specifically at the start of the book of Matthew, it starts with this fulfillment of prophecy that the Messiah was going to be born. It's who we've been singing about. Over the past four songs, the Messiah, Jesus, was going to be born. It's great news, and that news started to spread. There was no social media. There was no professional news outlets, but the news started spreading. But just like us, as the good news started being shared, what also started being shared? The false news. The good news about Jesus started being shared with others, but then these half-truths about Jesus also start getting shared. And so enter the characters that we're looking at today in our Christmas supporting cast. These folks known as the Magi, the wise men, the folks who hear and see the good news of Jesus via the star that appears. But there's also a character that we're going to look at today known as King Herod. And King Herod represents the religious leaders of the day, and the way the Magi responded and the way King Herod responded could not be more different responses. So what we're going to do today is to explore that good news, spreading to this group of people known as the Magi, while simultaneously looking at how the other group had zero interest in that good news. And ultimately, we're going to get to the end of the message today and force you to answer the question, which group are you in? Which group do you most identify with today? The ones who want to share the good news or the ones who are not sure about the good news? Or the ones who are thinking, mm, I'm not sure that I really want my life to be as radically changed as Jesus wants it to be. And so I'm more identify with this camp. So regardless of where you are and regardless of what it is that God is doing in your life, maybe this is the first time you've been in church for a long time. I'm so grateful that you are here. And I thank you for saying yes to whoever invited you to come today. And I'm grateful for you who have invited folks to be with you today. And I want to pray for us and ask God to do what only he can do in this place as we read his word and as we camp out on this good news and say, what is it, God, that you want to show me today? Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for who you are. We're so grateful, God, for your presence in this place, and I thank you for this good news that we get to share today. And I pray that if there's uh, someone here that is yet to understand what you have done for them, that today they would receive and hear your message and to hear the good news of the hope of Christ. And maybe for those of us that have kind of wandered away a little bit or we've allowed the stress and the anxiety of the world to kind of take a place of priority and precedent in our life, that we would move past that today and that we would 
trust you, God, and that we would lean into what it means to follow you with all of our days. We're so grateful again, God, for who you are, and thank you for your word. And it's in the powerful name of Jesus Christ that we pray. Amen. Our text today comes from Matthew chapter 2. If you have a Bible and you want to open to Matthew chapter 2, it's the first book in the New Testament. Uh, So go to that little page that says New Testament and turn over one page, and that's where we are. In Matthew chapter 2, you can follow along with me up here on the uh, screens as well. These verses will be up here if you have a mobile device and you want to hop on, you can follow along in Matthew chapter 2. But I want to read for you Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. But when King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all of Jerusalem with him. And when he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. And then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. So chapter 2 starts with the word after. And so after indicates that there's a jump in time, that this is post the birth of Jesus. And so after means that this is happening after Jesus' birth. These magi are wise men, depending on how your Bible translates that. They come from the east to worship Jesus, and they bring him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Now, most biblical scholars would put Jesus at about two years old at this point in time when the Magi are coming. And King Herod is reigning in Jerusalem at that moment in time. You don't need to do a really significant study on Herod to understand what Herod was like. Herod was evil. Herod was a really evil king. And so when you see Herod in Scripture in this particular instance, just kind of replace it with evil. He is a really evil king. And what he is trying to do is ultimately he's trying to squelch the truth of the person of Jesus. You'll see that played out here in just a little bit. He is trying to stop the message of Jesus from spreading. But the news of Jesus's birth and Jesus's arrival as the Messiah, it has made it to the Magi. And they see this star and they follow the star to worship Jesus, which leads us to kind of the first point of the message today, which is what I like to call the misunderstood Magi. The misunderstood Magi, because some of the things that we've kind of bought into or we believe about the Magi are just simply not true. In fact, every week in this sermon series, I have commented on some, something connected to the nativity set that you may have at your house. In our case, the Fisher-Price nativity set that our kids play with. And uh, you guys, I mean, the, the nativity set has kind of lied to us when it comes to um, the, the Magi, because we all have the little kings, the three little kings who are there. I mean, these guys don't show up for, you know, at least two years in there. So if you can sleep well at night with them in your nativity set, just go for it. Keep them there. Uh, but again, if you need to kind of move them aside and, you know, wait a little bit and let them journey in a little bit later, that's a little bit more appropriate. But it's all good. I mean, you're fine if you keep them there. But just know it's a great teaching opportunity, okay? Um, but they come when Jesus is really a toddler, 
And they're traveling, you know, several hundred to maybe even a couple thousand miles, depending on what scholar you listen to. And we, we've honored them with songs and lots of details, and we make assumptions about them. And one of the things that I think we tend to assume about the Magi is that they were these really elite spiritual leaders. You know, we refer to them as kings, or we refer to them as kind of the upper echelon. And these guys must have gotten it all right, when in reality, we don't know the full number of how many they are. We don't know exactly how far they journeyed, but I mean, it's a, it's a pretty long journey. This isn't like them going from Nolensville to Smyrna. This isn't, you know, a Nolensville to Nashville journey. It's more like Nashville to Minneapolis or Nashville to Denver. I mean, so this is taking some time, hence why it takes a couple years for them to arrive. Now, we also misunderstand who they are because we kind of, again, refer to them in a more kingly manner. But in all reality, magi is close, most closely affiliated to another English word that you know. You only have to add one letter to the end of magi. When you see magi, what does it sound like? Magic. And you add a G to the end of magi and you get magic. See, they were masters of the astrological arts. These magi served in the royal court practicing incantations and astrology. So at their core, they were Gentiles. They were not spiritually elite. They were, they were people who, in some cases, were probably very far from God. And in spite of some of the misunderstandings, they had knowledge of Jesus' birth. It was made known to them. They saw a star, and they started the journey to come and worship the Christ child. That's what we see in verse 2. They come and they ask Herod, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose, and we have come to worship him. And that question that they ask, where is the one who is born king of the Jews? It was a fulfillment of prophecy. It was a fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. Even though they had a pagan background, they were still really familiar with the teachings of the Old Testament. They may have not been adhering to the teachings of the Old Testament, but they knew that one was going to be born king of the Jews. It was prophesied in books like Daniel. It was prophesied through guys like Micah. And they come and they ask Herod, where is the one who is born king of the Jews? And that question did not bode well with Herod. He did not like this question of where is the one who is born king of the Jews. Why? Because Herod was the self-appointed king of the Jews. It was a title that he was using to refer to himself. He went into the courts and he required everyone to address him as king of the Jews when he entered into a room. It was a title that he had put up on himself. And it doesn't seem to be the case that Herod was really aware of what was happening with Jesus for the past 24 months. And this traveling group of magicians come into his courts and they say, where is the one who is born king of the Jews? And he knew immediately they were not talking about him. They were looking for somebody else. They weren't looking for him. Have you ever showed up to something thinking you were in charge and so did she? <laughs> or you are the project manager, you know, assigned to a task at work, and Carol thought she was the project manager as well? How'd that work out? You ever show up to a party, you thought you were the party planner, and so did he? Or a, chef, or a, a, a dinner that has two chefs? you know, and they're working in different directions, you know, that's going to be an interesting meal. They show up looking for the one born king of the Jews, and Herod, it says, according to Scripture, is disturbed. He and all of Jerusalem, all the chief priests, all the religious leaders, all the elite of the day, they're disturbed by this question that comes to them by the Magi, which serves as a great point for us to kind of camp out on here for just a second. And you can kind of follow along, fill in some of these notes if you want to kind of reflect upon this a little bit later. The same can be said about you and I. When you put yourself in a place that God never intended, disturbance usually follows, doesn't it? 
When you put yourself in a place that God never intended, disturbance usually follows. Herod was disturbed. Jerusalem was disturbed. Religious leaders, they were disturbed. Teachers of the law, disturbed. Pharisees, they were disturbed. These were the smart, elite groups of population in Jerusalem. They were disturbed because it totally went against everything they were expecting. They didn't like the question that led them to being disturbed because they thought they were in charge. Something didn't meet their expectations, and as a result of that, they were disturbed. What the text says in verse 3 is when King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all of Jerusalem with him. And when he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. So out of that disturbance, they say, well, where was the Messiah to be born? And there's a lesson for you and I to learn here. Maybe you're in a season of life right now where you're just you're kind of disturbed and things just aren't going the way that you thought they would and there's just not a peace in your life. There's not a real kind of deep abiding sense of hope or peace in your life right now. Maybe disturbed is a word that you would even use to describe how you feel right now. Is it possible that you've put yourself in a position that God never intended you to be in? Because when Herod put himself in a position that God never intended him to be in, disturbance followed that action. Maybe you're in a relationship right now that is not God-honoring, and deep in your heart and your soul, you feel disturbed by that relationship. Why? Because God's made it clear that you need to flee that relationship, and you're still hanging out there. Or how about your career? How about a business decision that you need to make? Maybe there's just not a sense of clarity about a decision that you need to make, and you're trying to kind of make the decision, and you're trying to follow your gut, and you're feeling disturbed about what you need to do, but you're still pressing, and you're still pushing. Is it possible that God is saying, you're feeling disturbed because you're doing something that I never intended you to be doing? A good friend of mine that I was talking to about this recently, he's very successful, in business, and uh, he and his company were exploring a new venture, and that new venture was just not working out the way that they thought it would. And so he was explaining it to me, and it's not a business that I have any expertise in knowing anything about to offer any counsel, but the question that I ask him is, how do you feel in your gut about what's happening right now in the decisions that you're trying to make? And his response was, I feel like I'm trying to push a square peg into a round hole. And I said, well, is it possible then that you should pay attention to that disturbance? Because maybe that disturbance, that dissonance that you're feeling right now, it may very well be God's way of trying to get your attention to say, detour, I've got something else. It's not my best. It's not what I want for you. Maybe you're struggling with things that have taken control of your life. Maybe it's an addiction. Maybe it's alcohol or pornography or gambling or a food addiction, and your soul is disturbed right now. Why? Because that thing has become the controlling factor in your life. And God is saying, I want to control your life. I want to be at the place of priority. See, Herod was disturbed because he was trying to take the glory from God that God never intended for Herod to have. And disturbance followed. But rather, God appeared to these magi to show them the real truth. And they start following the star. Isn't it interesting? It was right under Herod's nose. Jesus was right under the nose of the Pharisees and the religious leaders of the day. But you have these magi who travel several hundred miles because they saw a star. Did you catch a group of astrologists? They saw a star? Don't tell me God doesn't work in mysterious ways. He reveals a star to a group of astrologists, and they begin this journey to see the things which had happened. So be encouraged this morning. Allow the story of the Magi to to encourage you in this, that God makes himself known at all times, in all kinds of ways, through all types of things. This is how God works. Sometimes people ask me the question, how do you think God works? And my answer is, yes, 
Everything, through everything, God makes himself known at all times, in all kinds of ways, through all types of things. How did he make himself known here to the Magi? Back in verse 7, Herod asked him the question. Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. Now, you guys can go down a rabbit trail if you want to and try to find out what actually was this star. And Google it, and you're going to find 45 different biblical scholars that are going to tell you 45 different paths. And so the reality is, you know, we don't really know. Scholars have determined it was everything from a comet. Some folks say it was a supernova. Uh, There's actually some really interesting uh, kind of uh, astronomical research that says right before the birth of Jesus, there was this once-in-a-lifetime, all of the planets aligned, and it made this amazing star. And it's some incredible stories. Others think the star was an angel. Who knows? I don't know which of those is true. I don't know which of those is most accurate. Let's focus on this, however. Don't miss that God used a star to speak to a group of people that were experts in stars. God works in all things through all ways in a way that is so clear sometimes. It's almost as if sometimes, do you ever hear God speaking to you and you're thinking to, myself, you're thinking to yourself, wow, am I the only one that just heard that? Or someone will say something to you and you're thinking, how did you know? exactly what I was going through. And see, that's God, because God makes himself known at all times, in all kinds of ways, through all types of things. God makes himself known to humanity in a myriad of ways. Some of you love mountains, and you go stand at the foot of a mountain, or you climb a mountain, and it's so majestic, and that mountain reminds you how big God is and how small you are. And Scripture, of course, attests to that. Then there's another group of you that you hate being outside, and you see a mountain, and all you think is mosquitoes, and you're like, God, please show me some other way. To, to make yourself known because I'm not an outdoorsy type or whatever the case might be. Or you go to the ocean and the breakers of the waves remind you just how big God is. That, that's definitely me. I love to go to the beach and I love to be the first one up with a cup of coffee and sitting out on the beach and you see the waves coming up. And aren't you always amazed like I am? How did the waves know how to stop right there? How did they know how to stop right there and not just overtake all of South Carolina? How did they know in that moment how to not just completely sweep away all of North America? And you realize to yourself, there has to be a God bigger than me and bigger than this that's controlling all of this. And then you go back to Scripture, and this is what Psalm 33, 6 and 7 says. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. Their starry host, by the breath of his mouth, he gathers the waters of the sea into jars. And he puts the deep into storehouses. What does the psalmist say? The psalmist says, by the Lord, the heavens were made. The starry hosts that we look at and we reflect upon that the Magi saw they were made. The mountains that are so majestic, God made those. And he gathers the water of the sea into jars and puts the deep into storehouses. Romans 1.20 says, For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power, his divine nature have been clearly seen being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. What does that verse mean? It means that since the creation of the world, God's qualities, his eternal power, have been so clearly visible in everything that we see. Everything that he has created, we see God's power through that. So what does God desire to do? God desires to make himself known to you. Just like he was desiring to make himself known to the Magi, just like he was desiring to make himself known to Herod, the question is, do you see him or not? Do you reflect upon him or not. God works in so many ways now through the encouragement of others. God still works in miraculous ways, signs, wonders, stars, anything and everything between, but there was never a moment that he made himself more known than what we're about to celebrate here in a few days. There is never a moment in the history of recorded time 
that God has made himself more known than when God sent his one and only son, Jesus, to this earth. A baby, Emmanuel, God with us. Because it was the birth of Jesus Christ that served as the catalyst for the star to come, that brought the Magi to Jesus, that put Herod in his place, and that offered hope for you and I. It was the birth of Jesus that changed everything, God making himself known, coming to be with us through Jesus Go back to verse 10 and 11. So when they saw the star, this is the Magi, they were overjoyed. And on coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshiped him. And then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Now, Herod tried to stop the message. He tried to thwart the plan. In fact, he puts forth a mischievous plan to try to, to, try to catch the, the Magi up. And you, if you read there, he, he'll, he says to them, you know, you go find Jesus and you come back and tell me where Jesus is so that I can go and worship him as well. He had no intent of going to worship Jesus. In fact, he was going to try to stop Jesus from being around. And so the Magi get smart, and at the end, you see that they actually go home a different path, and that infuriates Herod so much that he issues an edict that says all babies two years old and under in Jerusalem have to be put to death. What was he trying to do? He was trying to stop the message of Jesus from being spread. It did not bring him joy at all. It brought him no hope at all, no true desire to worship the Christ child. Rather, he wanted to kill him. But even even though he gives that order for the Magi to return, they do not return like they promised they would return. But what happened in the Magi's life is it brought them joy. It led them to being overflowing with joy. Now, you see this here on the screen, and maybe you want to write this down. When you keep Jesus first, joy always follows. When you put yourself in a place God never intended you to be, disturbance follows. But when you keep Jesus first, joy always follows. And maybe you're new to church and you're thinking to yourself, Pastor, that just sounds a little bit too good to be true to me. Of course you say that. You're the pastor. You're up on stage and you would tell us that when I put Jesus first, joy always follows. I think that there's probably lots of people in the room who aren't the pastor of Rolling Hills Community Church that would also stand up and say, when I have put Jesus first in my life, joy has always followed. It doesn't mean that it's been easy. It hasn't meant that life has been perfect. It doesn't mean that life has been, has still has been filled with problems and turmoil and struggles and, and, and despair and all those things. But when I keep him first, joy always follows. In fact, test him in this. Start your day tomorrow with Jesus. Ask him for wisdom tomorrow and how to handle a relationship. Ask him for wisdom tomorrow and how to make that business decision. Ask him for wisdom about how to spend your money. Think about what Jesus would want you to do before you say something that you might regret later. Pray and say, God, is that really how you want me to reply to that email? Whatever the case might be, and see if joy doesn't follow in those moments. So it not only brought them joy, but it also caused them to bow down. When the Magi encounter the presence of Jesus, they bow down, according to verse 11. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. And then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And what is so cool about the Magi, and you see it here on your notes. What was so cool about the Magi is that the Magi were some of the very first people to do what everyone eventually will do. The Magi were some of the very first people to do what everyone eventually will do. What do you mean by that? The Magi bowed down to worship Jesus, and what Scripture tells us is that there will be a day that every person past, present, and future, those who love Jesus and those who detested Jesus, every person that God has created, they will bow down and worship him as king. And some will bow down and worship him as king and be eternally separated from him because they didn't know him. 
And if you know Jesus Christ, you've already bowed down and worshiped him as king, and you continue to bow down and worship him as king, and you spend an eternity with him. That's why Philippians 2, 10, and 11 is a great verse, two great verses to commit to memory. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The Magi bowed down and worship to him. Now that word bow down or that phrase bow down, it's the same Greek word that's used many times in the book of Revelation to discuss how really evil people will also bow down to worship Jesus. The Magi were these trailblazers though. They were doing at the first kind of level, some of the first recorded moments of people who bowed down to worship Jesus, they were doing what everyone eventually will do. Whether you know Jesus or are walking with Jesus right now, Um, All of us will bow down to worship him. So they bowed down, but it also caused them to bring gifts. They brought gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh, and these were gifts of very high value. And the gifts had a specific purpose, and they were, you know, you can research and find about what all those gifts actually were and what the purposes of them all were, but these were also gifts of very high value. These were valuable gifts. Well, what do you think a young family would have needed? They would have needed some currency. They would have needed some resources. They would have needed some of these items. These were ways for them to support themselves. See, these gifts were not only gifts of worship, but these gifts came as a very useful currency for Mary and Joseph. God was in the midst of those details as well. And when you bring your gifts to God, isn't it amazing that God works in those ways as well? Every talent, every treasure, every resource that you bring to God, God does something with it that you can't ever even see the half of the picture of. And it's what God was doing here with the Magi. So my question for you this morning is, are you holding on to a gift that God wants you to bring to Jesus? Are you holding on to a gift that God wants you to bring to Jesus? See, the Pharisees, the rich young rulers, the parable of the talent in the New Testament, all of these are examples of people who were holding on to a gift that God wanted them to bring to him. At the end of this year, my question is, what are you holding on to that God wants you to bring to him. As 2021 is quickly becoming the rearview mirror and 2022 is ahead, what gift are you going to bring to God? What talent are you saying, God, I want to bring that to you? Where, where are you not serving that God says, I want you to serve? What, where are you not being generous that God is saying, I want you to lean into that because I want to meet you in the midst of that? We have so much to learn from these magi and so many questions that we can ask ourselves. But in the presence of Jesus, do you find joy? Is it cause for celebration? In the presence of Jesus, do you desire to say, I want to bring my gift to Jesus? Can I not wait to share that news with others? Or do I want to just sit on that news or not reflect upon how good that news is? Or maybe sometimes I become like the Pharisees and I see the news and I see how good it is and it's right under my nose, but I realize that something in me is going to have to change if I want to live the way that Jesus wants me to live. And I realize not really willing to change because I like being I like being in the place of importance. I like being the most important person in the room. The Pharisees, I think one of the things that they really were struggling with more than anything is they walked into a room and everybody thought they have arrived. Here's the elite. Here's the Pharisees. And Jesus came in such a humble way to remind us that the greatest among us serve. And the greatest among us meet the needs of other people. God did not send his son in the most humble of ways so that you and I could be arrogant about who deserves to hear that message. It's why we exist as the church. 
It's why we exist as the church. Did you guys know that like part of our organizational model, it is unique. There is no other organization like the church. Why? Because we solely exist for the people who are not here yet. You're here. You're here, and we want to empower you. We want to equip you, but this is not a country club. This is not an us for and no more. We exist for your friends and your neighbors who have yet to know Jesus. And we're building a new building, and we're expanding our campus, but that's not even the expansion of the church. You're the church. And so we empower you, and we equip you to go out and to reach more people for Jesus Christ and to stand in the gap for other people who are struggling and to invite your friends and neighbors and your families into that relationship with Jesus Christ. God didn't send his son in the most humble of ways so that you and I could sit on that life-giving knowledge and make it more difficult for others to come to know him. God also didn't send his son in the most humble of ways so that we can say, I found Jesus and that's just good enough for me and good luck to you. (laughs) I hope you find it. No, he says, I want you to go and be motivated to share that good news. And that great news, I pray that you and I would share it. But just like we started our message today, people struggle with good news. They don't always want to hear the good news. And sometimes the good news spreads a little bit more slowly than the bad news. But praise God that that news started spreading. And if you're here and you have a a relationship with Jesus Christ, somebody shared that news with you. Praise God. And you get a chance to share that news with someone else. And I hope and pray that you share it in joy and that you keep that message going. Or maybe you've allowed some fear to take up residence in your life. And just like the Magi, I mean, think about it, they had to be pretty terrified because God reveals to them through a dream that they are not supposed to go back to Herod because they knew something was going to happen. And so instead of following what they promised they were going to do with Herod, they go a different direction. Verse 12, having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. And what you see with the kind of conclusion of this part of the story is that the Magi, they return to their home by a different route, but they also return different. They return to their home by a different route, but they also returned different. They were not the same because of this encounter that they had with Jesus Christ. And you and I will never be the same because of what Jesus has done for us. In fact, if we walk away from an encounter with Jesus the same, then there was something about the encounter that needs to be reviewed. Something that probably needs to be tweaked. Something we need to revisit. Because when you have an encounter with Jesus, you don't walk away the same. God was so involved in every part of the story. And God is involved in every part of your story. So who do you most identify with today? Are you going to be like the Pharisees? Who was right under their nose and they just chose not to see it? Or they chose to say, "Mm, it's too complicated. Or it's going to ask too much of me. And so I like to be at the place of importance in my life, and so I don't want to surrender control. Or are you going to be like the Magi who responded? They followed the star. They bowed in worship, and they said, God, I'm all in for you. I want to end today with just a call to a next step. Maybe you're here and you've not responded in faith to Jesus Christ. Today can be the day that you move towards him, that you follow him. You can stick around after the service. You can mark on that card, as we've referenced a couple times already today, if, you, if there's something that God's stirring in your life and you want to talk with someone about that or you want someone to follow up with you this week, that takes some courage 
to do that. But I promise you, someone will follow up with you. We want to chat with you about what those steps that you feel like God is asking you to take. Maybe you've not followed in baptism. And today would be the day when you say, you know what, I I want to publicly proclaim that I belong to Jesus and I do not belong to myself. Make a note of that on the card so that we can follow up with you. Or maybe you're here and you've been sitting on that news for far too long and you say, you know what, I want to commit to share it with someone else. What better time over these next five days than to share that news and to invite someone to come and hear, invite someone to come and be a part of a Christmas Eve service, invite someone into a conversation this week as you're walking uh, your dog on the na- in the neighborhood, whatever the case might be, to just invite someone into what it means to have that relationship with Jesus Christ. This is your time, and this is an opportunity to respond to a God who loves you so much. It's incredibly great news. Let's go share it. Let's not sit on it. Let's go share it this very day to all those we come in contact with. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for who you are. Thank you, God, for meeting us today. Thank you for the good news of Jesus Christ that changes everything in our life. I pray, God, that we would not just camp out on this news and and hold it for ourselves, but that we would share it. I pray for the person in the room right now that doesn't have that relationship with you, that they would understand, God, that you sent your one and only son, Jesus, to sacrifice for their life. Thank you for being with us, God. And maybe the person in the room who's just been struggling in their faith journey, and they're wondering, God, can you really be trusted? And they need courage to be able to make the decisions or to maybe move through some of the things that they're frustrated with right now, that you would meet them in this place. And that each and every one of us, God, would open up our hearts to you. We thank you for what you've already done, and we thank you for what you're going to continue to do in this place. And it's in the powerful name of Jesus Christ that we pray. Amen and amen. Thanks for listening to our Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast, part of the Rolling Hills Podcast Network, where you can find great podcasts like Making History Parenting Podcast, Men's Leadership Network, Rolling Hills Women's As You Go Podcast, and more. If you want to learn more about what's going on in the life of Rolling Hills, download our Rolling Hills app or visit our website at rollinghills.church. And from there, you can follow us on Instagram and Facebook and stay up to date on what's happening and ways that you can connect. We're thankful for you.